Welcome to On The Line. I'm Jenny Robb. And I'm so excited uh, that, again, we have our featured um, author, Frank Giampaolo, with us as we continue our series um, delving deeper into his book, The Psychology of Tennis Parenting. Uh, so I would like to introduce Frank to you fully. Um, he is awesome. And so just so you know how awesome he is, here we go. <laughs> Frank Giampaolo is an award-winning international coach, popular international speaker, and sports researcher. He's an instructional writer for ITF, Coaching and Sports Science Review, UK Tennis Magazine, PTR Magazine, the USPTA, Tennis Magazine, Tennis Pro Magazine, and Tennis View Magazine. Frank is both a USPTA and PTR award-winning educator, the Tennis Congress faculty member, served as the vice chair of the USTA SCTA Coaches Commission, and a featured speaker at the Australian Grand Slam Coaches Convention, the PTR Great Britain Wimbledon Conference, and Wingate Sports Institute in Israel. Frank is the best-selling author of Championship Tennis, the Tennis Parents Bible, which is awesome. We've gone through that in the past as well. Um, and there's two volumes, volumes one and two, and they're awesome. Uh, emotional aptitude in sports, neuro priming for peak performance, raising athletic royalty, the soft science of tennis, preparing for pressure, innovative tennis charting. That's a fun one. <laughs> How to attract a college tennis scholarship. Also a really important one and customized player assessment also very important his television appearances include the nbc today show ocn world team tennis fox sports tennis canada and tennis australia frank founded the tennis parents workshops in 1998 conducting workshops across the united states mexico israel new zealand australia england canada and spain I would like to go on that trip. <laughs> Frank's commitment to coaching excellence helped to develop over 100 national champions, hundreds of NCAA athletes, numerous NCAA All-Americans, and several professional athletes. His innovative approach has made him a worldwide leader in athletic parental education. So, Frank, welcome back. Thank you again for taking the time to be here as we continue our series going through uh, the the psychology of tennis parenting. Thank you for being here. <laughs> no, thanks so much. I, uh, I kind of feel old after that intro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about a lot of those things in a while. So yeah, thank yeah. you. Awesome. It's awesome. And you're awesome. Okay. So you had told me that, that you were looking forward to chapter four and that I was going to love chapter four. And you were a hundred percent correct. This is such a fun chapter. Um, and I love the name of this chapter. Um, you know, we've talked about the unique names of your chapters and this one in particular, I just really, really love it. Um, it was one that I had not thought of before. And so stacking momentum, um, I was immediately intrigued about stacking momentum and the quote that you have at the beginning of the chapter is getting good versus earning good. Very inter interesting. Um, so before we get into each of the points, uh, tell us a little bit about your vision um, for chapter four 
um, and where we go from here. <laughs> well, you know, it's all, although it is part of the psychology of, you know, raising an athlete, it's it, it really like a, a coaching handbook as well, right? Um, so talking about preparation and how we do prepare kids for for competition, that's meaningful. As you know, parents are the weekend coaches typically. So the parent and, and the actual coach should be communicating a ton. Um, yeah, stacking momentum is really meaningful. And I and I do and I do really believe the the idea that you don't get good, you earn it. And it's kind of like the same concept of nobody else can give you inner belief. Inner belief comes from inside of you which is based on what are you doing on the practice court what are you doing every week to push past you know your comfortable old habits and choices and getting into the uncomfortable and getting into the new that's what creates confidence and the inner belief stems from your ability if you're an athlete to get out of your comfort zone right 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 yeah 100 percent. yes um, so that leads us right into talking about preparation. Preparation is your first point here. And you say true confidence stems from your athlete believing that they've adequately prepared for the event. Junior athletes don't miraculously rise to the occasion. They sink to the level of their training. Um, those two points under the, the preparation heading are, are just there's so much truth. There's so much impactful truth in both of those statements. Um, as far as confidence stemming from the athlete believing they're adequately prepared and you don't miraculously rise to the occasion, uh, sink to the level of their training. Um, so expand, expand those ideas a little bit for us. Um, they're so important. (laughs) Well, I think often with athletes, um, False confidence is thinking they're better than somebody else. And uh, you're really believing that you train properly. And, but also having the high IQ coaches that will help develop you to train properly. Cause sometimes it's, it, it's confusing and it's misleading. Sometimes we think that just, you know, like quantity of hours on the court equals quality of your development and 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 that's not true right um the other concept though of um athletes sinking to their level of their training um Mm -hmm. sometimes parents and coaches they think that we're gonna you know rise to the occasion and it's like but those little miracles really don't happen you don't just rise to the occasion right you uh you know, you sink to the level of your training. That's really true. So training should consist of, you know, hardware and software. So those of you that haven't listened to some of the past podcasts that we're, we've been doing, you know, your hardware is your strokes and athleticism and your software tool belt is mental and emotional. And right. you're only training one section of your of your competitive skill sets. You're probably going to be in trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I had a a player a few years ago um, that was highly ranked in the South, like top in the top five. Um, And, you know, the South is a huge um, area 
like California, yeah. there's two different sections and and just your state. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so also a big, big area. And um, she was a very driven young lady and her mom was very involved with her training and her mom is also a really lovely lady, but uh, she, the mom wanted the daughter to train all the time, you know, and, and it was a, she's a high uh, homeschool uh, kid. And there were times that she would be dropped off at the club and I'd sit with her and go, you know, you, we really don't need to to do a whole lot today. She had been plagued by injuries, mostly mm. of the overuse kind. And she'd be like, my mom's going to ask me, you know, what I did today. And I'm like, well, I don't want you to lie to your mom, but one of the main things you need to do today should really kind of be a recovery day. So we can do some light hitting or stretching or, or, or something. I said, but we're not going to, you know, be on the court. <laughs> four hours today you know you, you need your body needs to heal you're growing um you know so that was a hard concept to get on board with with the parent because she had great intentions like I said she's a lovely lady she needed some guidance that's all you know yeah. so that that that's just a quick quick story there but um so a little bit more about preparation we say Advanced competitors embrace the discipline of development long before the consistent winning begins. I love that. <laughs> consistent winning. Um, you know, that doesn't just happen. I mean, like we've said before, yeah. you know, in tennis, you're going to lose a lot. <laughs> you're going to lose more than you win, especially in the beginning. And so, to have the parent mentally and emotionally prepared for that part of the journey, as well as the, the junior is just, yeah. it's, it's so, so important. Um, so anyway, I love, I love the idea of, you know, advanced competitors embrace the discipline of development long before the consistent winning begins. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that statement. <laughs> Well, you know, often with intermediate players, you'll see their their actions uh, that don't really match their words. So their words might say they want to be a top player. Their actions say they want to be a normal teenager, which is fine, right? right. It's pretty, pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think one of the one of the keys with that topic was. Uh, Players sometimes think at the intermediate level, they'll train harder after they start winning. So like, I'll train like a pro, you know, after I become a pro, that kind of concept, right? Right. But, you know, growth and development, you have to get, you have to get way better before you start beating the better people. And so that comes first. And that's something that a lot of kids don't really buy into. Right. That the, Improvement comes way before, you know, the accolades and the trophies and that type of thing. So, no, that, that that's just so true. And I think just putting that out there to the parent 
is is so important whether they know tennis or not but especially if they're not familiar with tennis to to look at a parent and say you know this is not t-ball it's not like your team's going to win everything and then you're going to go to all stars and you know everybody's fabulous you know it's like you know this this is going to be a long journey before the winning starts and so i think you know it, it it's so so huge to know that going in and um a lot of people don't <laughs> yeah i think if parents can promote to their child that you have to outlearn and outwork yes everybody in your sphere everybody that within a within a two or three hour drive from your house you have to be outworking these people if you That's feel right. you're going to get ahead of them right That's um true. but it's tough to do and uh but again, that's that's the difference between a high performance athlete that's going to go to college and get a scholarship and mm-hmm. you know play at that level. So, yeah, preparation is is key, right? Yep. Um, so I put a um, extra star in my notes next to this one, <laughs> um, but it says the champion is born when the willingness to outlearn and outwork their rivals supersede their need for approval there's a whole lot going on in that statement (laughs) (laughs) anytime you throw in you know a need for approval yeah that's like opening pandora's box so so you know i think most of us humans seek approval in a million different ways um and so I just think this, I'm going to read it again because I think it's so important. So the champion is born when the willingness to outlearn and outwork their rivals supersede their need for approval. Um, so I said, I love this beautiful statement. So so tell us a little bit more. I know you kind of mentioned it going in, but um, I just, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> it's, it's, it's deep and uh you know, teenagers spend a heck of a lot of time on their phones and on social media. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're competing with false realities of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's always happy and everybody is always successful and skinny, even though they're using Photoshop, right? And that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, we're always looking, probably more than ever in this generation, they're looking for praise and approval. Yes. Um, and to one up, their competition, right? Exactly. And so I think that uh that really pulls pulls these kids into this kind of uh, a, a darker state. And uh it's not really about the praise and approval because quite honestly everybody else doesn't really care. They only care right. about themselves really. That's right. And yeah, they're they're scrolling through on the phone, right? As they're they might be looking for a second at your picture or your victory, but they're not really buying too much buying into it. So, yeah, right. I think that's important. Um, even in matches, during matches, most athletes they're focusing on their outcome. What ifs, right? What if I win? What if I lose? What are my parents going to say? What are my friends going to say? Right, right. What are the college coaches going to say? And that's especially all- especially with you know, the advent of uh, UTR, because you can see the fluctuation. Yeah. So that that really changed things when it's like, after this one match, you can see, you know, a a change. (laughs) The algorithm is quick, but that's why we see often um, 
players do things like they uh they skip the backdrop because they don't want to lose somebody right. lower than them because their rating might drop or that's right um you know there's that type of thing going on right now which is it's all about praise and approval right and keeping your status yep so even but, though maybe you're only an eight utr right uh but <laughs> Yeah, but but the projection, you know, what are you projecting and projection yeah. reality? <laughs> um, yeah. And so to to kind of close out this this segment about preparation, you say fulfillment comes from persevering through hard work. And and again, that is that's such a comforting statement in a way, and an mm-hmm. encouraging statement in a way, because you know, perseverance is is so meaningful and impactful. And it's an important skill, you know, in tennis and in life, but, but talking about fulfillment comes from persevering through the hard work. And I just think that applies to so many things beyond just, just the tennis court and, and from the parental aspect, you know, if you're going through the, the growing pains, the progression pains of, losing and or injury or or you know you're going through that with your athlete and so the the parents have to persevere persevere through that hard work as well because they're working hard too um and we all want fulfillment so the athlete wants fulfillment the parent wants fulfillment so does the coach um, so I just, I, I thought that was a, a really, uh, beautiful way to, to kind of finish up that segment. Um, so I'm so excited about the next segment too. <laughs> so next we go to stacking momentum. And I just think that is brilliant. I've just never heard it put that way. And, um, so stacking momentum and sort of the cycle of growth idea, um, you know, you say, how do we assist in stacking momentum? Can you and your athlete identify an incline or decline in activity? Um, so I love this. We're going to kick it off right here. Stacking momentum. Huh. <laughs> so so well, how, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one for sure. But momentum, whether it's in a match or in your progression, you know, as you're developing as an athlete, it's it's bi-directional, right? It could be your momentum is going downward or it could be going upward, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really based on, honestly, your momentum and even your outcomes and matches, they're based on your choices and your habits. Yes. And these are deeply ingrained. Sometimes they're neuropathways, they're motor programs if it's a stroke, but man, your your habits and your choices are, are what's causing you to win or lose matches. It's not the two points the opponent cheated. It's not all these different blame shifting issues we we hear, but right. yeah, stacking momentum. That's a really big key, I think. And uh, definitely. Yeah. So that, yeah, we can bang, bang into this one a little bit if you like. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you go on to say momentum is the ongoing upward movement top athletes achieve. Um, and that's so well stated also. Um, I love that it's ongoing, you know, it's not, uh, you get to a spot and you're done. It's ongoing. So I love yeah. that. But, but however, you know, it's Nadal working on his serve. 
you would yeah. think, what does Nadal have to work on? You know, but he's out there working on his serve or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But the ongoing, I thought that was such an important word in this statement, upward movements, movement top athletes achieve. So so just the idea of ongoing is, is yeah. what stuck out to me in that statement. Um, okay, so... In the book, we say, <laughs> you say, <laughs> here's how to assist your athlete in controlling their learning curve. Um, document the progressions they've accomplished each day in all four major components. And that's when you you go back to hardware as your strokes and athleticism and software as the mental and emotional side. Um so let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, here's how to assist your athlete in controlling their learning curve. Well, customization is key, right? To maximize potential. That yeah. means your your child is not going to get into a, a one-size-fits-all group training situation mm. if they're trying to maximize potential, if they want to socialize, and th that's different. They want to just group a little bit. That's okay too, but um, you know, customization is key, right? So, with this idea about stacking their momentum, I, I think it's really big that the athlete is accountable, and mm -hmm. they're they're going to self, you know, advocate, and they're going to be the person in charge of organizing their plan, especially if they're in their teenage years. Mm -hmm. um, we want them to be in charge because then it becomes their plan. It's right. not your idea, it's their idea, right? Huge, yes. Yeah. So anyway, like a Friday night, maybe what, what what we would like, you know, athletes to do is let's say they're playing a tournament during the weekend. Mm -hmm. They're going to write down three, three performance goals they thought they did pretty darn well in the tournament, mm -hmm. three things they'd like to improve. Now, every match, whether they play one, two, three, four matches in, in the weekend, they're going to write down these three and three. Three topics they did well, three topics they want to improve. And they're going to put it into their notes in their phone. In their phone, they should have a note file for just right. tennis, mm -hmm. right? Tennis file. So they're going to just send this, these notes to the, the coaches on Sunday night. Now, with that in mind, I'd like the athletes to have at least one or maybe even two topics um, per hardware, per software. So maybe they might say, with my strokes, I might want to improve my kick second serve and my slice backhand. Mm -hmm. Great. I need to improve my endurance because I know now that being match tough is not the same as being tournament tough. Right. You know, and winning six matches in a weekend is it's not easy. That is not easy at all. Man. <laughs> And then the software side, what what kind of mental things do they have to work on? And remember, mental is more of the X's and O's strategy, the thinking part. And emotions mm -hmm. is more of the feeling part, right? Performance anxiety. So mm -hmm. they might write down something like strategy-wise, I have to work on my serve plus one patterns because I'm not holding serve. Right. Mm -hmm. Or be detailed enough to say with performance anxieties, I get a good lead but they can't close out the lead. Right. I lose my intensity, I lose my focus, I get fearful when I have a lead. But the more the athlete can actually share with the coaches, the better the coaches can actually help the athlete. So it's- Absolutely. A circle. Okay, cool. You, you say, you know, 
Remind your athletes, please don't confuse the quantity of hitting with the quality of progressions. And so I, I think that's an important thing because as you're saying, you know, you're setting these goals, you know, three performance goals or, you know, it's kind of teaching them how to do that. So training yeah. what to look for. And instead of just making something up that you put on paper just to get, get it, get it over with that you're supposed to do this. The idea of that you're really understanding um, what you should be looking for, you know, versus just you went out and you hit a hundred balls in a row <laughs> or the quality of the progressions, you know, you go on to say their, their ongoing mission is to attend weekly training with a customized developmental plan, categorize the quality of the development each day. Was today a wasted day, a good day or a great day for developing their skills. And I just think that's so important. It might seem like a simple concept, but if you haven't, been shown you know you, it might not be a concept that you just magically arrive at on your own so I love how you kind of just make it very simple you kind of break it down into you know here's how to do what we're talking about you know yes. and and so so that's just huge now I do have a question as far as you know okay so the kids doing this you know the young athlete and is this something that they would share with their parents or is it something that, that is just theirs or, or what, what, how does that part work? No, good question. I think it's up to the athlete and the parent and the relationship they have and uh, with communicating and, and, but also, you know, it's meaningful that the, the parents have the same vision that mm -hmm. stacking momentum could be negative. If they're stacking wasted days after wasted days, you're stacking wasted days, right? Right. And you're not going to really get anywhere. But if you're if you're stacking great day after great day after great day, that's a different concept. Um, right. It takes a lot of maturity. I mean, look, yeah. we're, we're really asking 13-year-olds to act like they're already in college. Right. Right. And right. it's very hard to do, but that's one of the things I do with every lesson. I even if I'm working with an eight-year-old, I'll I'll go to the mm -hmm. I'll go to the kid, I'll I'll get down to their level. I'll go, look, Joey, you have great you have great athleticism, but can I treat you like you're already 18? I know you're you're eight, but when we're together, you're 18. Is that okay? And they always go, Yeah. And they Right, of course. <laughs> right. They love it. But uh anyway, but yeah, journaling is is important. It's not something a lot of kids would do. Um, but the ones that are, I think, on the right path, they don't mind doing that because journaling keeps them on track. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. So another way, another topic for me with stacking momentum is having the athlete be accountable for taking a one-hour lesson every day with somebody very special, mm -hmm. which is themselves. So that would mean maybe 20 minutes in the morning before school or before they go to summer camp, do push-ups and sit-ups. Mm -hmm. Maybe later on at night, do some shadow swings if you need to change a motor program or flawed stroke. Remember, remember they used to call it muscle memory, right? But right, right. Yes. We know that, yeah. <laughs> so we know memory is not really stored in the muscles. It's it's a it's a neuroprogram, right? Going right, through your right. nervous system. 
-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, taking a lesson with yourself, man, that's inner belief. If you can start doing that as an athlete, that's big. Um, that that's such. I have, I have a quick little fun story that that um been working with a a, a young lady. I mean, I, she started when she was like five with me, but at this point, she was. Uh, 13 or 14 and um her family they were going uh to paris for spring break and uh pretty nice <laughs> and it was so cute that she would take videos there's a video of her like doing push-ups in front of you know the the pyramid outside the louvre you know and she's like oh very cool then my push-ups outside the louvre you know i mean she and so she kept sending me these little video clips of her doing doing her stuff in front of these uh cool places in paris and it was just so much fun to interact with her that way i mean technology is 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 incredible so anyway that's just a the fun little yeah story. but um so when you get into the the next point here about momentum, I yeah. ate this up. I mean, I love it. So so executing momentum, uh, you say understanding psychological momentum plays a key role in closing out matches. Um, that that is just such a huge concept. You just touched on it a, a minute ago. Um, to be able to to close out a match and just being able to identify the momentum you know, how to, you say through, through this, uh, you know, how to keep, how to get it, how to keep it, um, yeah. you know, and, and what to do when you don't have it, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think the first thing to do is recognize when you do or when you don't. And then of course, for the parent watching to be educated on, you know, okay, momentum, great. What does that actually mean? I mean, we see it in sports all the time, you know, like, a, yeah, whether it's it's football or basketball or where you know it's like the hurry up defense or the hurry up offense that, that you see and you know you want to that stacking that momentum you you know you don't want to lose it and so it's like you know you see it in little ways like if you lose three games in a row it's like okay you got to slow this down go to the bathroom or you know take extra yeah. toweling off or, or or do whatever but I just I love this part um so and and this one actually just truly, I, I would love for you to explain this a little more, delve into a little more. So it says momentum is a bi-directional concept affecting either the probability of winning or losing. And I was kind of like, hmm, okay, big statement. Um, <laughs> can, you, can you extrapolate for us, Frank? <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. Um, yeah, so the negative momentum or the downward spiral of momentum um it, it could be you know correlated with the the fact that the opponent is playing terrific it might not be that you're playing bad it might just right. be that they're off the hook right now and they're yep. performing you know at their peak performance level mm -hmm. and so sometimes we have to just hold on um we don't have the momentum right so understanding when you have it and when you don't mm -hmm. is a big part of time management mm -hmm. and controlling the speeds of a match things like that but in my opinion recognizing things like momentum or energy management intensity management focus management those are all found in practice matches yes but you know as, as you guys all know there's a serious um 
deficiency in the number of actual practice matches that, you know, that players go out there and do. So practice matches are where all these different decisions and focal points are actually rehearsed. So practice matches to me are like dress rehearsals. Yes. Uh, a gal that I, uh, that I, I know here in California, um, she's a, a Broadway actress. And she said in dress rehearsals, once they get the job, they yeah. have to do six to eight weeks uh, of dress rehearsals, uh, wow. six days yeah. a week, eight hours a day. Wow. So they spend so much time on dress rehearsals. So everything becomes automatic pilot, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can they can be intuitive, not have to consciously think about everything they're doing. Well, right. Well, during that six to eight weeks, there's bound to be some things that go wrong, you know, and so encountering yeah. those things that, that go wrong in the dress rehearsals just further prepares for the live performance. And so, again, it's like we've talked about before, you know, how do you deal with adversity? What what do you do? when somebody kind of a monkey wrench is thrown into the the, the plan <laughs> yeah. So, yeah dress rehearsals are, are are so important yeah i mean look it's all about really it's all about problem solving and paying attention and those are all found actually in between point routines right this is your second performance of a match so if you think about your match play as three separate performances right there's the point there's the in-between point time and then there's the changeover sit down time mm -hmm. and we have job descriptions and in, in all of those but most intermediate athletes don't buy into it yet they don't get that in between points that's when the thinking and the problem solving that's right the calming down the emotions that's right that's right sometimes it's even in, in between points it's your ability to not overthink if things are going great you don't want to throw your own monkey wrench into the equation right that's I mean, right you're cruising you're cruising so <laughs> yeah so practice matches are so so important so if players are not really performing well like if they say things like i play great in practice but horrible in a match almost always it's because awesome. they're not used to making their own decisions Right. So that causes stress, right? And decisions are found in matches, not in lessons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Oh. That is so that is so interesting. Um, so that that takes us right into uh influencers stopping your athlete from building momentum. And then we have this list, and it's uh, uh negative body language and state of mind, being judgmental about mistakes wandering mind which causes unforced errors choosing to be combative match awareness mistakes um and so there's so many big things right there in this list of of influencers stopping your athlete from building momentum um and right off the bat i, I loved the first one so i, I kind of love the idea of uh body language and and <laughs> so so yeah so take us through um um this list here <laughs> well yeah but you know body language is um it's really important in competitive tennis right mm -hmm. a, a lot of the communication is not verbal 
-hmm. It's when the opponent sees that the shoulders are shrugged down and the eyes are wandering to different chords, it really pumps them up. So it's not right. your job to fuel the opponent's optimism, right? right. You want to, you kind of want to destroy their hope. I mean, that sounds mean, but. No, but I mean, you know. But that's your job, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then being overly judgmental about mistakes is, uh, you know, I think stressing too much about the, mis the mistake itself, as opposed to maybe just categorizing the cause of the mistake. And that's something we talk about a lot. Was it a reckless shot selection? Or was right. it really poor form? Um, you know, the, the Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say the third one on that list about being, you know, the wandering mind and- Yes. Athletes that don't play a lot of practice matches, um, they don't really know where their head is. Their right. body can be on court six at the club, but their mind may be way into the future mm -hmm. or back into the past. Mm -hmm. So knowing where your mind's wandering off to, that stems with practice matches, but also the, the concept of doing match play video analysis with your coach. Yes. This is so big that the athlete actually sits down. I do about three, four hours a day in Zoom with different athletes around the, the country, but we on Zoom, we analyze the matches. Mm -hmm. We do stats, we do charting, and we mainly look at in-between point routines and rituals because that's what dictates the play. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, but that's part of this whole match awareness, right? <laughs> that abs absolutely. Um, <laughs> you, you know, also going back to to the idea of being judgmental or overly judgmental about mistakes. This is something I see often and it can be really a dangerous thing. Like I had a, a player not too long ago that when they would get upset about a mistake, they would actually like hit themselves on the leg with their racket. I'm sure you've seen this, you know, but, but plenty of people do it. And so she's, and she's hitting her leg kind of hard. And she actually uh -huh. hit her. So then she hits her ankle. Oh no. <laughs> and it really hurt as it would. And so it's like, oh no, now, you know, now this you're berating yourself about this mistake and you're physically hurting yourself. And then it's like, oh my gosh, now you've hit your ankle really hard. You know, so so in that moment, we could turn it, kind of spin it to where. Okay, it's kind of funny. It's not funny, but it's kind yeah. of funny. At the moment, it's not, right? <laughs> yeah, at the moment, it's not. But <laughs> later on, when we talk about it in a couple of days, you can, yeah. be, you can be like, okay, when you feel that urge, think about that ankle. Please don't hit yourself with your racket anymore. Like, <laughs> let's let's find a better coping mechanism. <laughs> you know, in, in psychology, they, the nickname is ants, the automatic negative thoughts right and right. players have a habit of going right to it but the question that's meaningful with the uh, to share with the athletes is what's a better approach um reacting like emotionally or responding calmly right so reacting emotionally of course not <laughs> right but in the moment it's tough to do 
<laughs> That's right. Um, so so more fun to talk about, I guess, in a way, is now uh, when you hold on to momentum. And so this mm-hmm. is, you have, you know, apply bold body language, which I love that right off the bat. Um, you know, focus on script of top plays, maintain intensity, um, physical like heart rate management and verbal self encouragement. Um, so that's a, that's a fun list. (laughs) Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier though, when you have the momentum, um, sometimes it's just staying on script, staying on the path and Mm -hmm. not letting your own inner voice, uh, pull you off the path. Right. So the, the inner devil inside, yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, the little dark passenger that's saying, "Oh my God, you're you're beating the number two seed. This is incredible. How are you doing it?" The next thing you know, you start overthinking and analyzing what you're doing, and <laughs> right. So it's best, um, you know, it's best not to over over stress when you're winning. Just enjoy the ride and keep it going as long as you can. That's that's a great job. Yep, you know, I, I find it so. Uh, mind-boggling in a way when you'll see players that are just steamrolling right they they have the momentum they're just on fire and then they sort of blink and realize that they're on fire and then they either try harder to replicate what they've been doing but they're not in that same zone anymore or they they just kind of then go okay I worked hard to get here now I'm going to cruise and we've talked about that before too it's like when you have the momentum and you're rolling don't change you're you know yeah doing what's working it, it's <laughs> and, a great uh, point it's a great point <laughs> and don't blink <laughs> yeah a lot of kids over they overthink their way out of the match you know what I mean they complicate something that's uncomplicated right Right, right. <laughs> well, look, like adults do it too. I mean, if you ever, you know, oh, you watch adult league tennis and it's oh, sure. just as wacky. So, oh, yeah. I was playing a doubles match. This is such a, I'll be quick, but this is, this is so funny. I was playing a doubles match uh, a couple of years ago with this lady, great player. We're winning. We're like up 5 2 in the first set. And, you know, we, we, communicate between points and all we just win this game to go up five two and it's her turn to serve and she looked at me straight straight in the eyes and she goes this is the point of the match where I always get so tight (laughs) and I was like we're up five two like (laughs) I mean I didn't you know I wasn't saying this to her in the moment obviously yeah to myself I'm like what <laughs> we're up five two and it's your serve like just what do you mean this is when you get tight <laughs> yeah you know people just respond in in funny ways you see you it know, a lot right they, yeah. they take their foot off the gas and go to push mode when absolutely. they win comfortably by just playing their attacking style it's absolutely positively working mm-hmm. and then they stop and they go okay be careful Yep. Don't choke. Yep. Be safe. Right. And then they blow it. 
you know, and, and it's important too that, that you say that, um, you know, momentum is always going to fluctuate. And so that's, yeah. it's good, you, you know, it's good for the parent to understand and the player, you know, hopefully the coach already, <laughs> you know, would have that concept, but, but, you know, to, to say to a player, you know, you have the momentum, keep going, blah, blah. And then maybe the opponent went to the bathroom or slowed things down, slowed down the pace of play or changed their strategy or, or something. And and then, so it goes to the opponent that now has the momentum. And so it's so important that the, the player and the parent knows what they're watching, that it's going to fluctuate. So it's not like, they have it now. And so it's all over, you know, I I think it's so important to, you know, identify when you have it, identify when you don't. (laughs) And then, and then how do you get it back? And so I love how you kind of put, put that out. Um, Thank you. I, I, um, I think if parents are wondering, yeah, so how do we do it? Um, Again, the key concept, comes with practice matches and i mean but what i mean by that is full matches like play three sets right because you know it's all about practicing in the manner you're expected to perform and mm-hmm. often our our kids are at best what i would nickname them uh one set wonders yeah and this is they, they go to play practice matches they talk on the phone they do their insta twit <laughs> or whatever they're doing right. for 20 minutes <laughs> They rally for 20 minutes. They play maybe one set. They go home. Well, this is promoting their ability to focus and problem solve for one set. But, you know, really good athletes, like really good competitors, they have plan A's and contingency plans. And they're going to change what they're doing. And if if our athletes aren't used to handling change, that then they implode, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... And I Matt. think it's so important to, and, and the practice matches are just, like you said, the key to all of this, because I can recall a time that I was more exhausted mentally than I was physically. Like I was, very, obviously this is years ago when I was in good shape, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my body physically, I was ready and 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 you know physically I was good you know but I remember literally I'm playing doubles and you know had played a lot it's getting into like the third day of the tournament and I had to just take a bathroom break go in there and I was actually like in tears (laughs) you know it's like that that I was mentally tired yeah Yeah. physically I was fine you know, yeah. going back to the practice matches, you know, it takes a a, a level of self-discipline to, like you said, play, play more than one set, you know, and actually focus. So you're not just chit-chatting away or, you know, texting and, and whatever, but to, to train that mental focus is, is so key, like you said, and then the self-awareness to know that the difference between being mentally tired or physically tired, you know, where is your vulnerability right now? You know, and, and 
it takes a lot of time for some of us. Like I said, it took me a long time to realize that and go, okay, I'm actually just mentally exhausted. I'm trying to get myself, you know, yeah. ready for each point and I'm just I'm tired, you know, and physically I'm fine. You know, so so I think developing that skill set of of self-awareness. Um yeah. you know, so and, and you know now with Zoom, I mean there are a lot of great mental coaches out there. And uh if you're athletes, if you find that they're having more trouble in matches with the software with the mental and the emotional try seek out some uh, a mental coach because they're um mm-hmm. there's quite a few great ones across the country but again if you're doing it on zoom it doesn't matter if, you know, if you're in africa or right. Atlanta, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um so the next point we go to and of course uh i love this part um you know i'm a, I'm a huge fan of the ITPA, which is International Tennis Performance Association. And um, so when we get into fueling momentum and, and, you know, primary energy sources are oxygen, nutrition, and hydration. And you further break that down into, you know, we've talked before about deep breathing. As far as oxygen, you need deep breathing between points and nutrition, you know, eating what and when. Um, Yeah. And then hydration, you have pre, during, and post match hydrate. So, so those three things, um, so so important, and you you know, for muscles, lungs, and brain function, um, and especially hydration uh, to increase energy, improve recovery, regulate body temperature, and aid mental clarity. Um, so again, fueling your body is is contributing to all the the fueling momentum that you have here. yes um, especially so. if you're planning on getting to the back end of the tournament right you know right in the third day and with you know with with you guys that live in the south i mean it is hot and humid <laughs> and, i mean i don't want to brag but it's 68 <laughs> degrees right now at my house by the in laguna beach so right. we might get up to 72 and uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, down, down at Mobile Tennis Center, I know you've spent a lot of time there as well, but it is so hot down there in Mobile. <laughs> yeah, yes. all Alabama, but but yeah, I'll have to have so many uh hot memories from, <laughs> from, <laughs> from Mobile Tennis Center. It's wonderful, yeah. people that run it are great, but uh, it's just it's hot, so yeah, you gotta you gotta prepare for the environment in which you're going to be in. I mean, that's the first, the first time that uh um you were there when we were both at, at tennis congress and i had never played in the the different um altitude and and the difference it's such a dry heat versus you know i'm used to sweating all the time and um i remember trying to hit and my ball would just go just yeah. <laughs> and i'm like oh what what is going on <laughs> so preparing for the environment you're going to be in you know i said yeah. Wetting it out at Mobile Tennis Center, that's one thing. But then, you know, if you're in Tucson and you're not saying you might forget that, yes, you still need to drink on that changeover, even though you're like, I'm not sweating. You know, it's like, well, you're in a different environment from maybe what you're used to. So (laughs) Um, that that, that takes us into um, heart rate monitoring, um, which, which again, this, this, I get so excited about this stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, one one of the things you say is monitoring fitness 
fatigue and performance are crucial. And again, I think that goes back to self-awareness. Um, but but tell, tell us a little bit about what you think, you know, as far as the, the heart rate monitoring, um, how does that factor into to momentum? Well, it, it, it's it's massive. Mm-hmm. Knowing how to calm down your breathing and sometimes when to raise or lower your heart rate, mm-hmm. pumping yourself up versus calming yourself down. Those are those are essential with momentum. Yes. Um, what we I've been messing with the last six eight months is the idea of getting athletes to go back to wearing their you know thirty dollar Fitbit. Right. Where, you know, because here in, you know, I'm not sure about the whole country, but you're not allowed to wear an iWatch here in California during match play because you can receive texts on, right. on that, right? So there's some creative stuff going on. Right. But with the Fitbit, though, what I've been finding, and this is um, my own little bit of research, but when athletes play above a 115 heart rate and it's individualized, right? It's customized mm-hmm. to everybody, but mm-hmm. anything below 115 and they're a little bit sluggish. They got to pump themselves up. Right. They got to raise their energy, raise their adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Now, anything above, if you go way up above the 145s, 150s into the 200s, now your heart rate's too high Red and line. you're into a panic <laughs> mode, right? That's right. That's right. And we're in panic mode. You can't problem solve and process information. And so now you have to lower your heart rate. But so we have athletes when they're playing competitive practice sets and even doing drills, we have them stop and check their Fitbit, check their heart rate. Because peak performance, yeah, it's not just tennis, I got to be honest, but like even for example, in auto racing, the pit is monitoring the heart rate of the driver and, and they tell him, look, you got to calm down, relax or yeah. pump up now. And your heart rate's too low. Your heart rate's too high because that influences your decision-making and your match playability. Mm-hmm. And so athletes, if you're, if you're not sure about where your heart rate is, um, try, try one of those little, uh, yeah yeah you don't have to spend a ton of money yeah no remember it used to be like you would count your steps like yeah uh, five six years ago you wear a fitbit to count your steps and yeah (laughs) i remember my wife would call me about you have to get out there and exercise more you haven't done your ten thousand steps so (laughs) i would take this fitbit and i would attach it to my dog's collar (laughs) and i would have our golden retriever run around the yard and then i would get my numbers up there's your tag team. That's right. <laughs> tag team with the puppy dog. I love it. Right on. <laughs> That's so great. Um, so so kind of wrapping up the, the heart rate, it says monitoring their heart rate provides a way to gauge intensity and stress, both psychological and physiological occurring yeah. during training and match play. And so I just love the idea because, again, it's more self-awareness. Again, you're going, okay, how yes. do I feel when my heart rate is this? You know, wh- what is happening when my heart rate is that? And so, again, just that that education is so important. And, 
you know, it is something to share with the parents so that if they're watching, they can see if, if, you know, you say the intensity is too low, they're not moving their feet, they're slower swing speeds, you know, appearing, appearing disconnected uh, versus the intensity too high where they appear careless and reckless. Um, breathing is fast and shallow and they're in a panic mode. And so I think, you know, number one, you know, the athlete themselves, they need to be able to monitor this for themselves, but then, you know, a parent watching, it's really important for them to know, for a variety of reasons, you know, if, if you're watching and, and it, I mean, my niece, she would be so mad about me telling the story, but there, there was a, a tournament in Montgomery, Alabama, and, which is also very hot. <laughs> and, um, she, she had lost out of the main draw and was really upset about it. You know, we, we had talked through goals and we didn't get there. And so it's like an eight o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, back draw match. And she, she was just like, I mean, we warmed up to all of our normal routines and things. And she just was kind of standing there waiting to her turn and just sort of, you know, it's, so it's that low intensity. And I'm like, yeah is her heart right there is she alive like what what's yeah. going on you know, <laughs> you know? and intermediate athletes don't pick up on that and you <laughs> you know we've seen it but after a while the the advanced athletes they already know they don't even have to wear their fitbit they know when their intensity is way too low or mm-hmm. you know even way too high and, and, and getting in, into that panic zone but look for most of us though um catastrophe is going to strike in matches when athletes are not playing in their peak performance zone right 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 so anyway that's pretty advanced stuff but i think that's uh that's fun and i think uh nobody love- young to start doing it right i love that stuff and so then it takes us and we've already been been sort of alluding to it so far but um training blocks mm. you know, so, so you say practice in the manner you're expected to perform from, we both love Vic Braden. Um, yeah. We had touched on this before. And so I was so excited when I read it and I was like, oh, this is what we were talking about where you say approximately 75% of match time is between points um, or during changeovers. Uh, so this time demands critical problem solving skills. So back to the software idea there. Yes. Um, so, so the training block, you know, I love how in the book you said, you know, if you're about to play an event and you're going to have to play two matches in a day, you know, we need to train where this two hours ish for a match and then a break, what are you going to eat? You know, what, what's, what do you need to do? Cause now we're going to come back and do another training block. Um, so, so I just, I love this idea of training blocks. So, so elaborate a little bit on that for us (laughs) well i like the idea that um when we're training the high performance players that want to do well in national tournaments Mm -hmm. that they have to just replicate a tournament day Mm -hmm. and so you know we were just we had california sectionals this last weekend and there are some matches with some of my players and they're in the three hour mark you know they're doing full three sets in these tournaments and Yep. Then they have to come back though. They have an hour. They have to come back and do it again. Right. <laughs> and, right. And these are the top like 32 kids in, in the state. So it's, it's not easy. It's difficult, but not easy. yeah, 
So a practice day maybe should be what the nickname here is twofers. That means they do a set in the morning where they're training and working on skills, mm -hmm. lunch break, relax, recover, and then okay. come back and do live ball for another two hours. So their body yep. gets used to the physical, mental, emotional demands of a tournament. Yes, yes, that's so, so key right there. Um, and, and another huge point here, you say on the practice court, replace stationary grooving with match time simulations. And so that goes right into what you were just saying, but, but I think that's so important that, and that's all that, that's to the player and to the parent, but I think this one is, is special for the coaches as well yes. to, 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 if you're running that block of time, you know, how do you use that time? Well, you know, and so, you know, are you just going to sit there and feed some balls? You know, maybe, maybe your thinking is like, well, they're tired. They have to play another match. I, I don't want to wear them out. So I'm just going to feed a, feed a few balls here. She was missing her, her backhand in the net. So I'm just going to feed her a few backhands. And it's like, no, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so just, just, you know, again, it just goes to how important it is for each member, you know, whether it's the, the parent, the player, the coach where they, everybody needs to be in it, in it to win it, you know, yeah, good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's situational training. We're, we're talking about that right now. And I think there's phases of training and, and, you know, there's periodization, which is knowing when to, like, take the player, like, like a, a race car and take it, take the wheels off, put it on blocks, fix the engine. There's a time to change mechanics. Right. Yes. There's, but but not, not right before the tournament, right? Because that's, that's going to cause the athlete to not have the old stroke anymore, not mm -hmm. have the new stroke yet. Mm -hmm. And it's, they're very confused. Right. So knowing when to, to try new things is very important. But uh, in general, though, if, if coaches can replace grooving drills, grooving fundamentals with mm -hmm. situational training, like offensive situations, what are your top three plays on offense? And let's do those right. repeatedly. And then neutral. When you're on neutral, how do you hit building shots? What are you trying to do that fits in your personal tennis identity? Mm -hmm. And of course, defense, right? When you're on defense, what are your smart choices? Should you take a deep cross-court cross, cross court ball when you're 20 feet behind the baseline and try to kill it up the line? Probably not, right? But right. you know, we all we can't we can't resist to go for that sometimes. But <laughs> yes, like, right? a but, like a moth to the flame. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I but yeah, that's all practicing lady. in the manner you're expected to perform, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so the, this next one, this next point, um, mm -hmm. I love it took me uh, back to uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs. Um, he actually has a drill called the MK drill. And what what that drill does is, you know, the players, if it's a group or player, if, if it's not a group, you know, you, you stand behind the doubles line and so you're going to be running across the court just on one side of the court doubles line to doubles line and back to where you started and so that would be the the first round just down and back 
and then you have a timed recovery and then you go down and back down and back. so so it, it it builds up as it goes but the i mean i would actually had a, a stopwatch but you can do it on your phone um to go okay your play recovery cycles is how you put it in the book and that's just immediately where my mind went to, to the mk drill because it's like okay once down and back you get 18 seconds or whatever but you go longer you get get longer and so it's an endurance drill um you know and and just but but training that play and recovery cycle um is just so it's just so important and should not be overlooked um you know so um I got so into all this stuff of course you know I love oh. I, I love all this stuff um so, so you say uh, apply anaerobic training combining cognitive processing speed with footwork exercises and I'm like yes I love that yeah <laughs> so, so those are a lot of great words um but but how would you kind of just just expand on that a little bit <laughs> well to simplify that um court speed is a combination of footwork foot speed right mm. and brain speed that's the cognitive processing. So a yep. lot of times you might see an athlete that's very fast on their feet. Like when you have kids, you see them run to the water fountain. Right. And this kid, <laughs> they can fly get to get to that they water They were just fountain. dragging, barely, barely moving during the point. And then it's water break and it's like. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes the, the court speed is because they hesitate. They overthink. Mm-hmm. And they're so worried about maybe being a perfectionist and not getting things incorrect. You know, they, they, they get so worried, they they analyze every possible problem and what their solution might be. You know, okay, it's Tuesday at four o'clock and the wind speed is 32 degrees north by Southwest. And they're like really analyzing all this stuff. But <laughs> I think we have to try to get the kids to practice um, you know, the idea that tennis is an open skilled sport and you have to change directions, milliseconds on the dime. So as coaches, even parents, when you go out and work with your children, try not to have them maybe work on their agility. The agility is different than speed, right? Speed is running into a direction that you know you're you're going. Agility is when you don't know where you're going and you have to change left, right, up and back. But parents, if you want to help your child with their court speed, put different colored cones out and then randomly yell out green, blue, yellow, yellow, green. And now you'll see they'll hesitate and they'll take one step and they'll go the other way and they'll, they won't know where to go. And, but now you got to quicken their brain speed. That's the cognitive processing part, right? There, there is a, um, I'm, I'm not a, a video game person. I'm not much of a gamer, but, but there is, a game and I think it's like a dance I can't remember it's like dance off or something like that where we're on the floor um the different things will light up and uh, so something lights up and so you put your foot there something else lights up so you put your foot so it, it's kind of moving around and and it's a like I said I, I wish I could think of the name of the game um but it's it's a video game and, and I'm like now that's a video game that, that I think is pretty useful because you're cognitively yes. seeing oh red oh 
yellow and then speed it up and so it's actually a pretty pretty cool thing it really is <laughs> but but uh again i got this i, I love this chapter I'm, I'm trying to keep it short because i could go on and on <laughs> but um i love this part and this one reminded me of of our our another mutual friend uh craig o'shaughnessy who mm-hmm. uh talks a lot about uh serve plus one return plus one um, you know, how many shots per point. And so when I got to this part of the chapter, I was like, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. I got this, you know, and, and I think people get, um, you can't see what you see in a way. That's a weird way to put it, but, but would the average person, if they were asked how many strokes are in a rally for a point, you'd get a million different answers. Um, and you say, you know, it averages 2.5 strokes per rally. And that is what research proves. So this isn't just something that you or I or Craig or whoever dreamed up. I mean, this is through a lot of, of analysis um, that shows, you know, you say 70% of points last up to four hits. And so that goes into the serve plus one, return plus one. Um, 20% are five to nine shots and 10% are 10 shots, you know? So when you see highlight reels, you know, it might show a point that, you know, the, the, I call it tea kettle tennis, you know, it's like, it's getting hot, it's getting hot, it's getting hot. And then it's going to go like your tea kettle, you know? So, so a lot of times you'll see those long points, uh, on a highlight reel, or you see, you know, like the trick shots or the winners. Um, but it's so important. This is such an important thing to know. And it's so important to know that there it, that there is fact-driven research behind this. This isn't yeah. just, you know, what I think, or, you know, this is real. It's analysis. Yeah. And it's so important to know. Um, so, so yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about, you know, how to approach this, whether it's a, a training, um, like a lesson or a clinic, or if it's a, a practice match or, you know, what, what is you're going on, um, for this one thing that, that I just do as a side note is, um, again, we've talked about training parents, how to watch a match, you know, what do you see? If all you see is a double fault or a backhand in the net, you know, that's not going to be fun to watch number one, but, you know, tra- we talked a little bit last time about training to see the good things. Did you see your player was doing something they'd been working on and they tried it in the match, whether it worked or not, you know, that that's a thing. That's a good thing to see. And so I would do, I would have the parent do a simple little chart of, you know, a column under their player and a column for the other player and, you know, zero to four, five to nine or 10 plus and just put a little tally mark you know and who who wins the point in that shot range and so like I said this is completely fact driven because then once you have a parent looking for specifically that and it's easy to do because you're just counting shots right <laughs> and um and so you know parents it kind of is eye-opening to go Oh wow. You're yeah. Oh wow. This is right. You know? Yeah. And and that can t- completely transform, 
you know, your thinking and, and the practice court and, and a million different ways, but, but yeah, let, let's talk a little bit more about, um, about getting into the, the just that idea of, of, yeah. you know, well, this is going to show my age, but when I, right out of college, I came to California I started working at the Vic Brayton tennis college. This is in the mid to late 1980s mm-hmm. and the research that we did there which was back then was the national tennis research center in Cota de Casa. but what we did back then was the length of point and we did these charts for singles and doubles from juniors to adults to pros that's so cool this is in the early 80s right this is or sorry not early it's the late 80s um mm-hmm. and the number was uh 2.9 hits was the the average in in uh, sorry 3.9 in singles 2. Point, I think 2.8 or 2.9 in doubles so those numbers were very very similar than they are today <laughs> computennis in the 90s it was computennis that really took the leading role in doing the same stats okay. they found the same numbers wow and and of course IBM Watson is doing all this the stats and charting in pros okay. and uh and they're finding the same numbers which is it's where our friend craig is getting his data right. from is from that right right so yeah. it's cool that it's like it's not new it, this is very very old we're talking 50 years old and right uh, but it still holds true and so again it's like yeah the whole idea of raising awareness of going yeah you know how aware are we of this phenomenon? And even though the game has changed so much in the last 50 years, this has actually kind of remained the yes. same, which which also is like, oh, wow, you know? So the racket technology or string technology or, you know, more fitness, more time in the gym, you know, it's like whether or not it was Steffi Graf or Serena, yeah. You know, it's like, hmm, these numbers, you know, the numbers don't lie. You know, they are what yeah. they are. I think the more we know data, mm-hmm. uh, the better we can coach and the better parents can parent. Yep. And that's why one of the books I, I have out is called The Match Chart Collection. And it's like 12 yeah. super easy charts that parents can do. And then they can yep. send the info. I recommend though, remember, send the info directly to the coach, uh, text it to the coach. Try not to coach your kid on the way home. Just let the coach do the coaching. But right. it's also really distress, uh, uh, de-stressing if the parent has a job to do during the match so they're not right. shaking their head in disgust and the yeah. kid's walking You're not you. hanging, you know, yeah. hanging on every shot. You know, no, it's not that you have a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And well, it should yeah. count, count count to five. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the whole idea about you know practicing in the manner you're expected to perform. Remember that the last kind of topic on this that I, that I can share is remember that mm-hmm. an average point is about 130 points. Right. Yeah. They're going to play two matches a day. They have to be ready to play. You know, 260 violent points of keep away. They're not playing cooperative catch right. to each right. other nicely, right? They're bolting. They're delivering and receiving on the dead move. Mm-hmm. 
260 times in a day. And so, that, I mean, that's, that's a lot, you know, I mean, it, it all it goes is. into, you know, there's so much yeah. that goes into that, you know, you, you can say that statement, but then you go, okay, all those other things are contributing factors to how you can do that. You know, it's, it's, it goes back to the how and the why, okay, here's yeah. how to do this over and over and over again. And here's why we need to be able to do this over and over and over again. So, so sort of the technique and the tactic, the how and the why, you know, and, and, and that going into a player's intensity, you know, it, it helps to know why you need, it does, you know, if you're just out there hitting balls and you don't really know what, what you're doing, it's, it's sort of undefined, you know, just space. And so the idea of, I know these numbers, even if you're not a numbers person, I wouldn't really consider myself a numbers person, but these are pretty easy <laughs> to work with. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think so too. You know, <laughs> it's not really that, that hard to work with. Um, and so yeah, you're, I had made a, a special star next to this point too, is what you just said, you know, the shift from playing catch to keep away, mm. um, you know, training should s- simulate match cycles of intensity. Um, yeah. you know, th- so, so I, I love the idea of catch and keep away. That makes so much sense, you know, cause you start a young player with the idea of sending and receiving, sending and receiving so you get used to that idea of con- controlling back and forth the cooperative play and then yeah. work into making it competitive and so again it's how to do something and then why why to do that something um so so i, I love that and then my my last little thing here um is it which again we've we've touched on some in the past but but i love this stuff um you know how personality dictates dictates behavior um it says your your athlete will maximize their potential much quicker when their training simulates the specific demands of match play. Um, and so just, just, I think that's a beautiful way to kind of encapsulate the whole, whole conversation today. Um, yeah. In beautiful chapter four. <laughs> well, thank you. I you know I appreciate that. And, you know, I think we're really trying our best to people like you and myself that, uh, a lot of tennis coaching is still in the dark ages. I mean, a lot of coaches out there around the world are still teaching the same things that they were teaching in the sixties and seventies and eighties. And, but, uh, I mean, thanks to people like you, we're, we're hopefully we're more of the outliers who are, who are going to like pull the industry a little bit and, uh, try to get most of the coaches to add new concepts and, but it also is from coaches. Look, it really behooves you to do these things too, because it it improves your bottom line. That's right. Because you have way more things to teach. That's right. You have That's way right. more lesson plans. So the clubs make more money. You know, the snack bar makes more money. <laughs> right. The trainers make more money. <laughs> so anyway, it's a win-win. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Well, Frank, this has been so much fun to talk about. I've been looking forward to talking about chapter four and it did not disappoint. Um, In fact, I have so many more things in my notes that we couldn't get to, but I know our time has already run over a bit, but um, just uh, I want to say thank you again for your time. Uh, You know, your time is so valuable. Um, And so uh, I think this was another good one. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, (laughs) thanks everybody for watching and, and if you have any friends that might need the info, feel free to share it. Yep. We're on uh, iTunes and YouTube and SoundCloud and, uh, you know, easily to share on on Facebook or Twitter. Um, Instagram's a little bit different with, with how you share a link. But, um, yeah, you can find this. We're, we're all over the place. Um, so, so thanks for listening to us. Yeah, and share with your friends. Again, I'll put... Uh, Frank's contact info up, which he has so generously offered. And so, you know, it's a good offer. Take him up on it. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) All right. Until next time. Thank you, Frank. Bye. (laughs) Bye.